Kaylin Devaney I usually get to know people before I start photographing them. I explain myself, my process, and my perspective, and then, if they agree, I start to photograph. In working on long projects, there are many photographs that I choose not to make, but I do not lament the loss of these photographs. For whatever reason, my intuition at the time is to not photograph, and I trust that. But when I am with strangers, photographing in a manner more like street photography, I am shy about raising my camera. Sometimes I don't when I wish I had. Other times I am too slow, delayed by a momentary hesitation about whether I should or shouldn't take the picture. Those are the photographs it stings to lose. They take up residence in my mind and hang around to remind me that they don't exist anywhere in the real world. I had been living in Northern Ireland for several months, working on a photographic piece that I hoped could offer some commentary on what average days in Belfast were like in the mid-1990s. I was less interested in bonfires than home fires, less interested in soldiers than tea dances and piano bars. I was walking up a major road in West Belfast on a damp gray morning before much was going on in the streets. The seagulls were calling overhead and swirling, and I felt alone and quiet. Then I saw a man walking toward me, his coat buttoned up against the elements. The scene seemed colorless, just steel sky, silver gulls, and iron-gray coat. Then, for just a second, the gulls flocked around and behind him like attendants, and in that moment it seemed as if he reflected the soul of the industrial northern city, forged from metal and mist. In that same moment, I hesitated and my camera hung still around my neck. We passed shoulders. This memory is over ten years old now. Who knows how I have changed it over time, remembering some things correctly, while other aspects inevitably shift or disappear? But it is an image that I think about more than any photograph that I have actually made. Doug Dubois on most days, you could find Clifford Woods playing saxophone in front of the China Trade Center on Grant Street. On weekends, Clifford played near Macy's on Union Square or sometimes next to the cafes on Maiden Lane. One time, a hulking old man walked up to Clifford and quietly complimented him on his playing. Turns out it was Stan Getz, and his words kept Clifford going for weeks. Clifford played gigs, too, with the bassist Herbie Lewis, and once in a while with the reclusive trumpeter Dupree Bolton, who played only a few blocks away in Chinatown when he could be coaxed off the street to form a quartet. I was kind of a groupie, hanging out for a couple of hours, more days at a time, making photographs, recording his music on my portable Walkman, and mixing tape compilations for Clifford and his friends. I was also in graduate school, looking to make photographs to fill the walls for my critiques. And I did, but they were mostly dark, smoky clichés of jazz clubs and street corners, shiny horns and drums. The thing about music is that it does quite well without any visuals, but looking at a musician without the music is something else altogether. If Clifford had a run of bad luck and couldn't make his nut for several days in a row, he would have to hawk his horn or find a place to stay or a bath or a meal. It didn't happen often, but one night he asked to stay on my couch. Around midnight, Clifford said he had to go out for a while, but he would be right back. I asked to tag along. 
I suspected Clifford was an addict, not because I had seen him take anything or look strung out or even high. But he nodded out now and again, and you know, he played jazz. So off we went on a bus to the Tenderloin. Clifford told me to wait on a street corner and disappeared into a building up the block. People looked at me funny. A few laughed, but no one took me seriously enough to bother. I had my little Leica tucked under my jacket, but thought it best to stay put. Clifford returned soon enough, and we were back on the bus and in my apartment in less than an hour. That was it for my angel-headed hipster night. Now safe at home, I began to photograph. I had never seen anyone shoot heroin, but I had seen plenty of photographs, and I felt I had maybe not the right, but the permission to make some of my own. And even worse, I considered quite earnestly that the scene before me was my rite of passage into something real and authentic.